Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, this is a first, I believe. I don't know that I've ever uh, preached from the hold of a ship, you know, um, to a bunch of pirates. But uh, what, a, what a blessing it is. We've, we've, uh, we're ready to uh, uh, engage these children, these precious children in uh, Vacation Bible School and teach them the truths of God's Word and what a, what a blessing that will be. Um, this morning I'm going to be in 1 Timothy and uh, if you have your scripture and want to open up to 1 Timothy, um, we're going to be in chapter 1 uh, starting a new series about orders concerning the church and um, but if you have your scripture and we'll open up to that, we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. You know, uh, coming from Oregon uh, years ago, my, uh, I remember going on an elk hunt with my father-in-law. He's a big-time elk hunter. And um, the night before the elk hunt, um, we were talking, and, and I remember uh, my super great father-in-law, uh, Bob. He, um, <laughs> he pulled out his uh, elk bugle and started making noises with it, and he was demonstrating how to use a, an, an elk call. And... Um, Man, to my surprise, it sounded just like an elk, okay? And, and the next day, we were in the Ochoco National Forest, and we were going hunting, and, and I discovered that you can fool an elk with that call. Um, it, it will come. And, and uh, you know, they're big, huge, majestic animals, but uh, the elk never knew the difference um, until it was too late, and he was lured to his death while thinking that he was doing the right thing. And, and I think this is important because the Apostle Paul, he wrote to Timothy in response to a looming threat. And, and there were some Gnostics, some, some false teachers, uh, who were attempting to imperceptibly divert the original purpose of the church to serve their own needs. And so they were trying to do this and they were, um, you, you have this, this happening and so Paul gave some orders concerning the church that, that they would stay on this, this holy path that was chosen by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, the, he mentions things like orders to be a good soldier, orders concerning public worship and, and uh, concerning behavior in the church, um, orders against the profit motive in religion. And, and we really, I just want to capture a couple of verses here in, in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 is, is the purpose that Paul gives for writing this letter. And this is what it says. It says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. That's quite a statement. The pillar and support of the truth. You know, like the elk, today's church is hearing some calls that can easily confuse us and ultimately can lead to death because we may have a false sense of security. And, and I think this is huge. Many have accepted some half-truths that were taught by false teachers only to learn that the half-truths were actually whole lies. 
So the church stands to gain something and, and some understanding by re-examining 1 Timothy and applying its powerful truths so that we can know how to conduct ourselves. And, and so I want to read this. I want to read the first 11 verses of uh, this, this letter. And, and uh, God's word says this. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, as I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at, emph- excuse me, at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men strained from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion wanting to be teachers of the law even though they did not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Verse eight, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person but for those who are lawless and rebellious. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of our blessed God with which I have been entrusted." Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, how it challenges us, how it speaks to us. And I ask, Father, that even now your Holy Spirit would just uh, bring us an awareness of truth. Father, that, that we would see your word. Father, that we would see how you speak to us through your word. And Father, that we would be changed because of it. Father, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. We thank you for uh, your son, Jesus, who gave his life, um, Father, for the punishment of my sin. And I pray, Father, that you would just allow the Holy Spirit to guide each of us and to be our teacher. We love you and we praise you. We thank you for this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I asked the question this morning, Will the church be controlled by law or by love? By law or by love? Are, are we to be fighters or forgivers? I mean, let's just boil it down. Is, is the church to be a hospital for sinners or a exclusive club for the saints? See, these are the questions Paul is encouraging Timothy to pose to the churches. 
uh, people have been converted to Christianity. They had been converted from a legalistic uh, background and they found it hard to move away from the law and embrace God's grace. And it's so hard for some that, that they just could not do it. They tried, but they could not do it. So th- this resulted in people practicing Judaism, all of the festivals, all the laws, all the other things, and then putting that with Jesus as the Messiah. And so they were trying to, to, do, to have it both ways, if you will. And, and you know, the, the Mosaic law uh, teaches us a lot about God, about who he is. It teaches us about his, his justice, that, that, that death is required for sin. In order to pay for sin, there has to be death. It teaches us about his love also, especially for those who are poor, those, the foreigner, the widows and the orphans. See, Jews were called to even allow others to freely glean off of their fields. It was kind of a built-in welfare system so that everybody could have food. And you think about this, and, and the law teaches us about God's holiness, teaches us about his, his justice, his love, his, his holiness. I want to read in Leviticus 20, verse 7. It says this. It says, you shall consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my statutes and practice them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You know, God is the one who gave us the law. And he gives us the law. And, and, and it, it, you know, he gave Israel many, many laws, including some of these not practicing sexual immorality like the pagans around them did. He's called a people out to be a people, to be his people, his chosen people. And he says, don't act like the rest of them, Okay. He says, don't practice sexual immorality like the pagan nations. Don't offer your children up as sacrifices to the the little g-god Moloch, okay? And and he talks about not tattooing their bodies and cutting the, the hair on the sides of their heads. And in considering this, we might ask, why all of these laws? Why all of these laws? And God declared the reason for all these laws was simply his holiness. Because I am holy. That's why we have those laws. He's different. He's different from everybody else. He's different from any other God that is made with hands. He is the one true living God. And he is holy. And therefore, he wants his people, he wants his, his, the, the Jews, he wants his priests to be different as well. By not doing those things, everyone around them would recognize there's something different about them. And that's, that's what he wanted. He wanted us to be unique in that. See, when we study the law, it teaches us about God's nature. I mean, he is just, he is loving, he is love. And, and he's holy among many other things. And so we, we study the law so we can understand who God is. It's very important. Another thing about the Mosaic law is that it reveals Christ. I mean, much of the, the, the law teachings are, are shadows and symbols 
about who Christ is. And consider what Paul said to the Colossians at, at, at about various aspects of the law in Colossians 2, uh, verse 16 and 17. He says, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or a, in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He's the real deal. All of this other stuff points to him, but it's Christ who is our Lord and Savior. See, Paul sensed that the churches were beginning to lose their spiritual power and because they were, they were majoring on debating the law and, and, and tracking genealogies in order to prove this or that. They were, in effect, emphasizing a different doctrine than Jesus had taught. And what happens is there begins this endless confusion. People don't understand it. People don't get it. So where does the law lead? Uh, The law of Moses leads to a doctrine based on Judaism rather than on Jesus. The law led the church people there to set up regulations for their members. Think about this. It covered eating habits. It covered washing habits. It covered uh, ceremonial traditions that had to be kept if they were going to be a good church member. Men had to be circumcised before they could join. But everyone had to embrace Judaism before they became Christians. And, and, and this is what Paul is addressing. He's saying, no, it's not right. And this happened about, uh, until about 85 AD when, when Christianity split from Judaism. But one of the first things the Judaizers did was to make their members feel like they were better than everybody else. That they were better than others. And only a certain kind of person could join the, their church. You know, the ones who were intellectual enough to track genealogies and appreciate being from a long line of important people. You know, one implication here is that a new member may have had to prove that he was the offspring of someone who had done something important. We kind of think that's a little bit ridiculous. But if you're trying to be a part of that church, that's, that's, what they're, that's where they're at. And, and, you know, occupying themselves with myths and tracing ancestors, keeping them from becoming spiritually equipped to be about the Lord's business. See, the church has, as a whole had moved away from the purpose of the church and they had set up their own little private club. They had been, they became, you know, keepers of the aquarium rather than fishers of men. They were all doing their own thing, oblivious to the teachings of Christ. And you see, the law leads to questionings. I mean, the type of setting that Timothy was facing led to a false value system in the church. There were some Christians who were still trying to do God's will, but it caused a lot of speculation and a lot of confusion. And so often, we get people sidetracked in speculation and argument rather than focusing on the work of proclaiming the gospel and nurturing believers in the Christian life. 
I mean, the Christians were bound by the ethics of Jesus, but the other group didn't have any ethics. I mean, the Judaizers, they had the upper hand, and the church was robbed of its power and its purpose. But listen, this, this is what happens when we set up our own rules for membership. We begin to rely more on the rules and less on God. And slowly, but very surely, the rules take the place of God and the church begins to decline and die. See, many churches today are practicing the same brand of exclusivism that we read about in 1 Timothy. I mean, this is causing the deaths of churches in the U.S. every year. Last year, 2022, 416 Baptist churches closed their doors in the Southern Baptist Convention. And that number was actually lower than what it normally is. Normally, it's around 3,000. It's mind-blowing how many churches close each year. The same year, 2022, there were 2.5 members that left the church for every baptism that came in. So we're declining at two and a half times the rate that we're growing. Probably more like 250% or something like that. But the average Baptist church in America, did you know this? The average Baptist church in America baptizes less than 10 people in an entire year. I'm going to tell you right now, we're a little below average for this year. We've had 23 additions by letter and by statement, but we've had seven baptisms this year. See, we're right in that average. We're right in the middle of that. There's 46,000 Baptist churches in the U.S. Over 6,000 did not baptize one person last year. We're sad and we shake our heads about it. But we're not sad enough to repent. We're not sad enough to do something about it. I mean, we're failing to reach people for Christ and evidently we don't feel the shame and we don't need repentance. See, the more I read some of the great evangelists from the past, the more I realize that this approach didn't square with how they presented the gospel. They thundered against sin and they preached about judgment and hell so as to strike terror in the heart of someone. And their message wasn't so much, well, if you'd like a bit happier life, try Jesus. It was rather because of your great sin, you're under God's wrath, and unless you repent and trust in Christ, you will spend eternity in hell. See, I I come to realize in, in, in major missing ingredient in the most popular gospel presentation of our day is the proper use of God's law to bring deep, lasting, life transforming conviction of sin. 
I mean, people who are not convicted of their sin and do not realize their complete inability to meet God's holy standard by their efforts are not desperate for what God offers through the gospel. We're content. We want to add Jesus with a little more of anything else we're doing. We want to add him to what we're doing. But that's not the kind of salvation that Jesus offers. He says, you must die to yourself. See, people today, they're like casual shoppers versus a desperate shopper. You know, a desperate shopper would be a person who has to have bottled oxygen to live. His supply is gone because the the bottling company went on strike. But he's down to his last bottle and he rushes in the door of the, the, the bottled oxygen company and he pleads, he says, if you can't sell me any more oxygen, I will die. See, a casual shopper is a person who has a, a closet full of nice clothes and they go strolling through the mall and they, they, if they don't have a great need for really anything, but if, if something grabs their fancy, if, if, if the price is right, they might be in the mood to buy something. See, by not preaching God's holy law, we've given self-righteous, contented people the false impression that they can be casual shoppers towards the gospel when in fact their condition is desperate. You know, in this chapter in in Timothy, verse seven, Paul says they're wanting to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. They don't even know what they're talking about. They're just up there rambling. See, he wanted Timothy to remain there, to to talk to them. And and I love this because Paul there in, in verse eight, he says, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious ungodly, sinners, the unholy and the profane, those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers, immoral men, homosexuals, kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. See, the proper use of God's law is to bring conviction of sin so that people are driven to the gospel for salvation. So where does... Where does love lead? Look at verse four. Paul writes this, he says, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, but give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. See, love leads to proper stewardship. And you may not be familiar with the word steward. But steward is a word for one who is in charge of another's household and their possessions. We might call them today a manager, somebody who manages their their property and their possessions. But you see, a steward, in his love for his master, it controlled the steward's thoughts and motives. Everything he did went through the love that he had for his master. And, 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 you know, 
everything he did was so that his master would prosper. Because if the master prospers, he would prosper. It's all related. And we, we, we understand this, that we are Christ's stewards today. And everything we do should honor his name. And the atmosphere of the church should be permeated with this quality of faithfulness. That we, we have to, to be there. Instead of hurtful speculations, Paul wanted agape, that, that kind of love that, that has the interest of the other party before self-interest. And, and you know, he wanted that, that agape love to be the, the, the stack pole around which everything else went and fit together. But you see, love, it, it leads to proper stewardship, but it also leads to a pure heart. It leads to a pure heart. Purity of heart reflects the Hebrew way of looking at life. A heart signifies the person's inner core, their being. And the person who is genuinely interested in being good, being holy, being righteous, sought from God a pure heart without guile, without deceit. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You know, Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Love leads to a pure heart. Love also leads to a good conscience. You know, in Stoic thought, the conscience refers to the center of our rational and moral behavior. And a good conscience would be free from feelings of guilt because of the work of God's grace. We know when we receive God's grace that we don't deserve it. We recognize that he washes our conscience clean. And, and, and love leads to a good conscience. A good conscience is one that shows love in the face of evil and feels good about it because we know we've done right in the eyes of God. We do it because it's the right thing to do. But you see, a good conscience lets us sleep well at night. Sometimes we can't sleep at night. Because we know what we've done. We know where we've been. But love washes that clean. I love this. Love also leads to a sincere faith. And this phrase literally is rendered unhypocritical faith. Non-hypocritical faith. Which means that we face good times and bad times with an unshakable faith that God will see us through no matter what. I mean, that's why we can have peace, even when everything around us is in turmoil and seems so dark, we can have peace. You know, I was driving out of town recently, and I came across this property that had this this spotless, just beautiful sign, pristine, and it was painted, and the the background was white, it had these red letters on it, it was was a gorgeous sign, and the lettering caught my eye as I was driving, and, and it said, gutters and windows, Quality work guaranteed. But I thought, you know what? The house and the barn behind that sign, they look like they could collapse at any moment. Like literally, if you walked over, you could push them over kind of thing. And the, and the, and the paint was peeling on the house and the, the windows were cracked and the gutters were non-existent. But listen, many of us 
advertise for Jesus. But our spiritual homes are in disrepair. Oh, we may be able to attend church. We may be able to even be fluent in in speaking Christian words. And we might even mingle nicely with people. But when our conduct doesn't line up with our hearts, our first class behavior is just a performance of piety. We just want everybody to know how good we are. See, when Jesus confronted the Pharisees, he said in Matthew 28, uh, 3, 28, he said, you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, today I want you to consider the state of your spiritual house. If people look beyond the beautiful outward display, will they discover an authentic heart? See, hypocrisy is a common sin that grieves the Lord. He longs for those who will worship him in faith and in truth and in love. And God desires that our actions be a reflection of a pure heart. I mean, here's the threefold purpose, if you will, for ministry, for, for your Bible study, for your Sunday school class, for your discipling of other people. This is what you should be producing. Love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. See, Christian instruction and or preaching is to lead us to grow in love both toward God, but also toward other people. We, we need both of those. See, mature love flows from hearts being purified. Sometimes we have an immature love. We don't fully understand it. It's not fully developed. But mature love flows from hearts being purified, from consciences being cleansed, and faith that isn't pretending. Paul was saying that if we, the church, will have a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, we will grow into the kind of church that God wants us to be. And only then can we produce. See, love leads to sound doctrine. Literally, sound doctrine that, that's translated as healthful, healthful teaching. Just like you eat health food, it's healthful teaching. It's for your health. And you see, Timothy followed the wise advice of Paul. And the teachings did bring health to the church. It restored the church to its power and purpose. And the church began growing rapidly, even though it was heavily persecuted. Because they were loving out of a pure heart a good conscience, and a sincere faith. I'm gonna invite our, our worship team to come back up and we're gonna, we're gonna close out in a little bit. But, you know, by 300 AD, at least half of the world were Christians. The early lesson that, that the church went through teaches us a lot. 
It reveals that if Christianity is taught in a wrong or a negative way, it will die. It will die. It also teaches us and reveals that the church grew the fastest when it was under the heaviest persecution. When Christianity became a socially accepted thing to do, the church began to decline. And it has declined ever since. See, law and the gospel will always go together. They will always go together. That's why we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Law and grace. See, if a person is not willing to turn from their sin, to repent, to turn away from that sin and accept Christ, if they're not willing, they can't be saved. They can't. See, God's law is like a mirror and it, as, we, as we read his law, it shows us what is unclean in our lives. The things that, that, that you know, we may have... <laughs> Some breakfast on our face. We may have, our, our hair might be disheveled or whatever. But you know, when we look at the law, it reveals where we fall short of God's standard. It's kind of like a doctor. It reveals a person's sickness so that we can seek healing. So that we can seek cleansing. But this early church experience shows us that legalistic systems will fail only love only love leads us to the amazing grace that empowers all who believe to be all that God created and designed us to be we know his ideal we read about it but we fall terribly short what is needed is repentance not out there in here it starts with the people of God can we do that can we have love that is of a pure heart a clean conscience hmm. and a sincere faith I'm going to pray in just a moment and then we're going to sing together a song of response and this is, this is your time to respond to the word that you've heard today from God's word. Maybe you're here, you've never given your heart to Jesus and you wanna respond to him this morning. I invite you to do that this morning. Maybe you're a believer and you've never followed the Lord in baptism, you've never been obedient to that. You wanna do that? You come this morning. Maybe you're here and you're a believer, you've been baptized and you're just not plugged in anywhere. You know, God doesn't have any homeless children. If he's calling you, you come. Plug in, work and serve here. If you're looking for a church home, this is a good one. Whatever it is you wanna do, I invite you to do that. I'm gonna be down here in the front. If you wanna come and pray, the, the, the front is open if you wanna come and pray. But however he is moving you, don't put it off respond to him let's pray together heavenly father we thank you for this day and father i thank you for your word and i pray father that you would move us from where we are to where you want us to be